You're listening to the Slice of MIT podcast, a production of the MIT Alumni Association. This is the MIT Alumni Books podcast. I'm Joe McGonigal, Director of Alumni Education. Joining me on the line is Michael Tushman, PhD, Class of 76, the Paul R. Lawrence MBA, Class of 1942, Professor of Business Administration and the Chair of the Program for Leadership Development at Harvard Business School. Tushman is the co-author or co-editor of 14 books on management and leadership. His newest book is Lead and Disrupt, How to Solve the Innovator's Dilemma, co-authored with Charles A. O'Reilly III, and published this month by Stanford University Press. Michael Tushman, thanks for joining me. The book addresses the innovator's dilemma, a term coined by your colleague Clay Christensen nearly two decades ago. What is the dilemma, and how does this book pair nicely with Christensen's? Joe, great to be with you. So Clay Christensen's book, Innovative Dilemma, written many years ago, is fundamentally around how come successful incumbents get, in his language, disrupted by new entrants. It's a pretty depressing story, and Clay's recommendations are spin-outs, that uh, if you are Polaroid and you're trying to do digital imaging, or if you are Havas, an advertising agency, and have to deal with crowdsource content. The Christensonian solution is spinning these innovations out. Charles O'Reilly and I have been working on uh, a bunch of research on what are the characteristics of those firms that are able to both exploit their existing capabilities, in this case at Havas, continue to do fantastic, old-fashioned advertising, uh, and simultaneously explore into completely new spaces, in this case uh, right now, dealing with crowdsourced content. And so building on Jim March, who was a very distinguished Stanford professor, Jim March's early work on the strategic importance of both exploring and exploiting current capabilities, our work suggests that Clay is not quite right that great organizations can both lead their particular product class as well as disrupt themselves. So that's the point of view of our book. We have marshaled uh, both our research and the research of the field to speak to this question of the role of senior leaders in creating organizations that can be, in Charles's and my language, ambidextrous, can operate in both the past and the future, be both exploratory and exploitative, be small, nimble, and large at the same time. So that's that's our basic point in lead and disrupt. Readers opening the book won't be surprised to see there's success stories like Amazon and Walmart of the last couple decades in there, even IBM. But they might not expect lengthy discussions of the company that brought us mason jars right. or contact lenses. Right. Some of the biggest success stories you chronicle don't always make huge headlines. Yeah, and we, we try to fill the book with both our research on both well-known firms and our research on not-so-well-known firms, as well as our consulting experience. So so for, the, for those listeners who don't know the Bulk Corporation, the Bulk Corporation started you know, in the late 19th century making wooden buckets. They then got into glass jars. They then got into metal cans and then more recently into plastic water bottles uh, or plastic containers. And what we learned from the Ball Corporation is the power 
of an overarching identity. And when you have identities, in this case, it's they, they aspired to be the world's greatest container corporation. When you have that overarching identity, you're able to play these inconsistent games well simultaneously. So yeah, we, we try to fill the book with lots of both well-known examples as, as well as some not-so-well-known examples. And basically to empower general managers and C-level executives with the tools they can use to actually put some of our ideas into practice. In Chapter 3, you make some good comparisons for the science majors out there to Charles Darwin and the mm-hmm. uh, survival of yes. the fittest. Yes. You write, Darwin was right, neither strength nor intelligence guarantees survival. Only adaptation can do that for firms and flora and fauna. Tell me about this particular character trait, ambidexterity, right? Uh, and describe that asset for us. We describe structural ambidexterity as a dynamic capability. It's a capability that permits, in that case it was John Fisher at the Ball Corporation, it is a capability that Fisher and his colleagues used over and over and over again at the Ball Corporation to be able to play these innovation games, to be able to be both incrementally innovative and disruptive at the same time. So this structural ambidexterity, on on one hand, it's a form of organization design. It's a design that asks the general manager or the C-level executive to separate out the past from the future. So so our notion of structural ambidexterity is high differentiation, targeted integration where there is uh, assets to leverage across the explore and exploit domains, and really strong senior team integration. Another one of our case studies, if you will, is with Tom Curley at USA Today. Uh, back when he was creating, it was at the time the number one newspaper in the United States. And he knew that digitized content was going to be the future. So he split the dot-com piece of USA Today from the paper. But they both reported to Curley. So it's not a spin-out in the Christiansonian solution, which would be to spin the dot-com out of USA Today to the corporate level at Gannett, but rather both of those integrated organizational architectures, that is the paper business and the dot-com business, reported to Tom Curley. So that's what we call high differentiation. Targeted integration, so the editors in the dot-com side and the paper side shared content, but everything else is split apart. And really strong senior team integration, that is Tom and his direct reports, kind of get the, at that time it was a network strategy. It was a strategy to retain the paper business and to capture the eyeball business, the dot-com business. That's the dynamic capability that people like Curly can use over and over again to build this dynamic capability into their firms. There's much to lose when, when firms spin out that yeah. they could gain from, by leveraging their assets. And Our basic point is you only deal with the tensions associated with ambidexterity the tensions that you build in in this exploratory world and the world of exploiting your existing strategy. The only time you want to do that is when there's strategic assets to share across the explore and exploit categories. If there's nothing to leverage, then spin out. But in so many of the cases that we describe in the book, there is a gigantic amount to leverage between the past and the future. You write, the sad fact seems to be that when a business is successful, 
the inexorable tendency of managers is to protect that success and incrementally improve existing operations, not to waste resources on experiments in small, lower margin businesses. When senior leaders become great managers, organizations are in danger. The balance of leadership and management, making the trains run on time and figuring out the proper direction of the trains. Yeah, much like the huge literature out there on the innovator's dilemma, our book is rooted in this notion of inertia. Successful firms tend to drive out variability and become highly inertial. The big insight that Charles and I learned is that from a general manager's perspective, you want to both celebrate that inertia because it's really profitable, but simultaneously disrupt it in the exploratory experiments, if you will. And it's the ability of senior leaders to be able to host this tension, to be able to host this paradox is what makes for really fantastic senior leaders. It is to be able to live into a world where you're both living in the past and living in the future. And the ability to live into that paradox is what makes, I think, our book so unique, is with how leaders can be consistently inconsistent. You open with uh, two tables, uh, what's true of all these companies versus right. what's true of all these companies, and then caution readers, and this book provides guidelines so that your firm doesn't end up on some academics list of failed right. companies right. many years later. For the MIT alums out there starting a new company, give one free takeaway here where the ambitious new leader of a uh, entrepreneurial venture. Yeah. Start. So there's one set of recommendations for startups, and that is the challenge of going to scale. And that's not so much a ambidexterity challenge as a as what we call a punctuated change of, of changing the people, process, structure, and culture to go to scale fast. So for those entrepreneurs in the audience who have a variant, and this variant in that particular product class has a chance of becoming an industry standard, then our book can help them go to scale. That is a different challenge than... If you, uh, this MIT alum is, let me just stick with my advertising example, working in digital media at some advertising agency, this MIT alum, he or she is going to have to be able to work with their colleagues to play this explore and exploit game. And that's mostly where the book is targeted on incumbent firms trying to build on their past and create the future. What company is missing from the book? Of course, it was you know written in the last few years. Who are you watching right now? Yeah. Here's what I'm most interested in. So I'm not sure I have a direct answer to that question, Joe. What I'm most interested in is our ideas have a kind of a Chinese heritage to them. This ambidexterity of being able to, this yin and yang of explore and exploit. And so I'm actually... I actually don't know. I'd actually like to spend more time. We do talk about the higher corporation in later chapters of the book, but I'd like to do more research in China at the 10 cents of the world to capture whether this dynamic capability that Charles and I have really induced with companies from around the world really applies at scale in the People's Republic of China. Tell me, how is your MIT education alive and well here? So I am like so proud of my uh, MIT education, and and it's sort of men's and manis, if I'm pronouncing that right, it's head and hands. It's this is what this is what ambidexterity is all about: is having 
leaders who can engage their organizations through people's passion, their emotions, and having the hands about them that can play these multiple games simultaneously. So at one at one level, it's it's sort of the grand MIT tradition. Uh, on the other, more more sort of perhaps pragmatic level, it is I'm really proud of the work I've done that is both rigorous and relevant. Um, that's what I learned at MIT is having a research stream that is based on data, based on ideas, both sort of contributing to the academic literature and having the academic literature actually feed the real world and having ideas from the real world feed our research. That sort of reciprocal relationship between the real world and uh, the academic world is something that was uh, really part of my MIT education. Tell me what else you're reading right now. Reading uh, sort of in the same kind of technology organizations world. I'm, I'm reading two history books. One is uh, uh, a book by Ian Toll on Six Frigates, which is a book about the beginnings of the United States Navy and the incredible importance of the technology of ships and how our Navy and our country was born. And I'm reading a book uh, about King Philip's War, which by Jill Lepore, called The Name of War, a fantastic piece of history on the first European war fought uh, in the New England area and sort of the nature of warfare at the early 17th century. Speaking of Amazon, customers who bought your book are also buying books by Charles Duhigg, Ellen Oster, Mario Musa, Joshua Gans, David Berkus. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think of the algorithm? Is it doing its job there? I haven't quite gone to it, but that sounds a little bit off. I must say, Joshua Gans is certainly right. I must say, uh, Ellen Oster would not have come up on my radar screen as a, not that she doesn't do great stuff, it just does, it seems to be in a different space. Lead and Disrupt, How to Solve the Innovator's Dilemma, is the latest book from MIT alum Michael Tushman, available now from Stanford University Press or your favorite local bookstore. And Michael Tushman, thanks for chatting. Thanks so much.